Every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. If you don't like it, screw you. But this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. Lie on the floor flopping around like a, <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, <laughs> if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, I hope he pitches me to whoever, whatever he's, like if you think that way and you're just trying to use people. Blah, 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 blah. Oh my God, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot. Yeah. Pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that know, makes sense. That, that makes sense. Watch <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew in the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. As soon as you start telling stories and having actors touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that are going to want to connect to the people behind those voices. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Now, I'm going to keep this very brief because this whole thing actually today is explained in the introduction to the actual interview itself. So I don't really need to prep you. I will say if you want to follow along with today's discussion, and it's all about this big voiceover survey that took place, go to voiceoversurvey.com. And that's where all the results are. There's lots of pie charts, lots of diagrams and numbers and things, if that's that's what gets you going. <laughs> um, but the results are fascinating and um, much more in-depth than what we're able to go through today, just in the sort of podcast. So if you really want to drill down, I would suggest going to voiceoversurvey.com and uh, looking there. But this gives you a fairly good overview, as well as hearing from the, the people responsible. Um, my good friend, Karen Gilfrey, set this whole thing up, and uh, she had a great team of people, more friends of mine too. So it's a really, really great endeavor and um, very illuminating for both where we are today and where things could go in the future. So anyway, that's enough of me. I don't have anything to plug, I think. <laughs> Definitely follow us on social media, uh, follow the vocation group on social media, which is our yearly conference and community online where we do uh, regular classes and workouts and stuff like that. And that's it. So here's a quick ad and following that, the interview. The National Zoo, because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram, download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins, and these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Welcome to the VF Google Podcast. We're your host, Jamie Muffin. Today's guest... Akara Gelfry, Maria Pantorilla, Eric Yang, and Joey Shalio. Please subscribe. Okay, so today we're talking about surveys and voice actors and the voice industry. And um, I'm joined by a bunch of really super cool people. So I'm going to 
introduce everyone and um, then we're going to get into the data. So, Karin, why don't you go first? Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Karin Gilfrey. I run the Vocation Conference with Jamie and also I'm the founder of Voice Actors of NYC, who is a sponsor of this survey. I do a ton of commercials. I do a lot of other genres of voiceover, which I absolutely love. I really love the voiceover community, uh, which is why we decided to put this together. And so I feel like I was kind of the project lead on this thing. And um, yeah, everybody else on the team is amazing. And I'll let them introduce themselves now after me. All right, Joey. Hi, I'm Joey Shalio. I'm a voiceover talent now based uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. I used to live in New York, which is where I met a lot of these good people. Um, and then during the pandemic, I decided to move. And so now the D.C. area is my home. Um, I do a fair amount of commercial, corporate narration, medical narration, e-learning, um, telephony, and I also do live announce. So even though I'm still down here in D.C., I'm still an announcer for the New York Roadrunners and, and we'll go back up to New York to announce races and other events. Cool. Um, Maria, you're next on my screen. Hello, I'm Maria Pendolino. I am based in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I've been a voice actor for just over a decade. And like Karin, I do a lot of commercial work. I also do a lot of corporate narration and e-learning. Recently broke into some television narration. I have a documentary about Mariah Carey that came out today, which was very exciting. <gasps> wow. Um, just living my kind of like e true true Hollywood story dreams. <laughs> living yes. your sweet, sweet fantasy. I think oh, Bubblegum really wanted very to good, say. Joey. Bubblegum pop culture documentaries. <laughs> sweet, sweet fantasy. Sweet, baby. sweet fantasy, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I am known in the voiceover community as a no- negotiation guru. I've presented at the Vocation Conference and a couple other voiceover conferences about quoting and budgets and helping folks get what they're worth when they're looking for work out there in the wide, wide world. And um, for this particular project, I offered to make an explainer video um, about some of our favorite data points that came up in the survey and create something that was really shareable on social media and on the survey website to give people just a snippet of some of the things that we found in the data and hopefully encourage people to visit the survey and dig into it themselves to find what other gems could be uncovered from everything that we found. Cool. All right. Great. Eric. Hey, I'm Eric Yang. I'm uh, probably the newest voice actor here by far. I've been in it for just a few months. I've voiced well over 10 projects and I'm based in New York, (laughs) New York. Um, I'm a data scientist by trade and that's how I got involved with this project. Um, I reached out to Karin about it um, through the Facebook group. And I was really interested not only in exploring the data that uh, our fellow voice actors provided, um, I also wanted to represent the sort of the, the newer uh, people to the scene. I know there are a lot of people um, sort of enter the voice acting world um, during COVID and such. And I wanted to be able to help people sort of benchmark where they are, um, just like learn like what's what what's like a reasonable expectation for your career at like different points uh, and like tenures. So, uh, yeah, that's something that we'll explore today, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to get your perspective on it compared to us sort of crusty old voice actors <laughs> who've been in, seen it I mean, a few times. We're not that old. No, I know. but. <laughs> um, so why don't we go around and Maria said a little bit there about uh, her responsibility with this survey, but uh, what about everyone else? What did, what did you do towards the uh, survey, Joey? 
Um, so I I worked with uh, Karen and Eric and Maria to just kind of brainstorm some questions that we wanted to ask on the survey. We wanted to make sure that we were asking the right questions, obviously, and thinking of um, you know all of the right things to cover. Uh, since we do, we we understand we have such a broad group of people that we're trying to ask these questions of and get information from. So some question ideation. Um, I helped a little bit with some data cleanup. So for example, um, when we asked people where they were located. Uh, some people would write like Washington, D.C. Others would write D.C. Others would write Northern Virginia, which is basically D.C. So <laughs> there's a couple of like going through there and, and trying to clean up some data that the computer or the, the formula, the uh, algorithm wouldn't recognize as basically being the same place. And then uh, just kind of talking through the process. And, and when we got the data, you know, just kind of looking at it and giving my own ideas of what things may be linked together or what this this. Um, data represents and and those, that kind of thing. So that's mainly I was just kind of on the team, helping out where You're I could. A great member of the team. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Um, before we go on, though, I kind of want to describe what the survey is and why we did it, and just yeah. what it is in general. So I was seeing in a lot of Facebook groups people making these broad statements about the voiceover industry, like eighty percent of the work out there is non-union. And you can't really be a professional unless you live in New York or L.A. And uh, you really have to have an agent in order to succeed. Or people who work on pay-to-play sites are not making a full living. They're just hobbyists. Or all of these all of these kind of broad statements. And I thought, how are people deciding this? How, how, why are they making these statements? And what data do they have to back it up? And I realized there really wasn't any data. So I thought... After having done a few different surveys, at the beginning of COVID, um, I created a, a Google form for people to fill out if they had professional home studios. And Google Forms, when you fill them out, uh, they, they create uh, charts and graphs for you based on people's responses. So after seeing all of the data from that survey at the beginning of COVID, I thought we could totally do this on a much larger scale with information that we all want to know about the voiceover industry. So uh, with the help of these fine people here and a few other people, um, Sophia Cruz and, um, I don't know, a bunch of people, we, we created this State of VoiceOver in 2021 survey in both English and Spanish. Uh, we published it in mid-January. We closed it at the beginning of February, and we ended up with 1,244 responses. And what was really cool about it, which says to me that we got a pretty good sampling of the voiceover industry, is that the results, once we got to like about 250 responses, the results pretty much stayed the same. There wasn't any huge shift in uh, responses of like people who were pros or people who had agents or after about 250 responses, it all stayed very consistent. So that to me says it's a pretty good representation of people who are voice actors today. And Eric was part of that the whole way from the creation all through, you know, gathering the responses and all of that. I don't know, Eric, do you want to talk a little bit about everything you did? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I, you know, chimed in a little bit when we were ideating on the questions and stuff of being new. I obviously deferred to the pros here. But uh, where I mostly came in was cleaning the data. Like Joey mentioned, there was just we just needed to transform the responses into a nicer format to be outputted into the website that we're now going to be releasing for this. Um, so just some 
basic cleanup there, um, as well as dividing it into like different levels of comparing responses uh, based on union status or based on the amount of the self-reported talent level. But Karen makes a good point in that. Sorry, Karen. There's too many Karen Karens Don't in this worry. project. But the, uh, the other person, the other person that we're missing today is Karen Barth, who created the website from Voice Actor Websites. She's absolutely fantastic, yes. and it's really hard. Shout out to Karen. Karen and she's, Karen. she's clearly but on, shout out to Karen on Barth. top of mind, so we can't forget about her. Um, <laughs> so Karen made a good point in that uh, the results did stabilize, which is good. That means we're approaching theoretically some sort of population average with these things, like if we're sort of converging on an average response, like we we feel better about this being reflective of the true population of voice actors in America and also um, internationally too, we got some international responses on top of that. But that being said, of course, like no survey is perfect, so you have to um, take into account that there is self-selection bias. These are the people that uh, went out of the way to like voluntarily provide their information, so there could be mm-hmm. some sort of skew there. but. Overall, we do feel good about this data, and there's some interesting insights, um, both differences that are um, interesting to point out between groups and also some things that are actually more similar than one might expect. Where did you go to get the data? Was it just Facebook groups and online things? So it was mostly Facebook groups. Um, There are so many Facebook groups uh, on Facebook for voiceover. Um, So with a bunch of the group admins that I know personally, I asked them, can I post this in here or would you post this for me? Um, We asked people to share far and wide in all of the voiceover Facebook groups that they were a part of. So that was a lot of it. Um, A few people posted uh, the survey on on Twitter and Reddit. So there was a little bit of engagement there. Uh, not, Not as much as from Facebook. But then also I mentioned the list of voice actors with professional home studios that I gathered at the beginning of COVID. I used that list to send out an email to everyone who responded to that form and said, if you have time, please fill out this survey. And so we got a lot of responses from those people too. And it's quite good with the Facebook groups because you know specifically who you're targeting because some skew more professional, some skew more early career. So I guess you can dial it up or down, you know, depending on who you want to target a little bit. Um, Maria, I know you've got to run shortly, so I want to get your input on this. So what was your motivation for wanting to get involved? And we're going to get into specific takeaways shortly, but what were your general takeaways from this? Yeah, I think my motivation to get involved was very similar to what Karin had mentioned and also what Eric had mentioned. So, um, you know, seeing lots of broad generalizations on Facebook from people who have very strong opinions about something, whether it's a strong opinion about the union or a strong opinion about online casting sites and making these very broad generalizations without any concrete data to back it up. And a lot of times engaging with people who take those potentially controversial or strong stances is like screaming into the void because <laughs> you know while you while you know that they don't have data to back it up you also don't have data to come <laughs> back with your you know rebuttal um and then to Eric's point about having a benchmark whether you are a beginner in voiceover uh you know a intermediate or a pro who's been at it for 20 years I think sometimes it can feel very isolating in our padded boxes. And unless you have a accountability group or uh, a buddy or someone that you are 
super comfortable with and super transparent with. And I'm lucky that I have several people like that in my life that I can be completely transparent about my wins, my losses, my income. And I have a sense about at least what a couple of my peers are doing. It can feel very isolating to know what your career actually looks like in comparison to the rest of the industry. And I think we work in an overall industry that is difficult sometimes to compare because people work across different genres. And someone can say, I'm a full-time professional and all I do is audiobooks. And their life and their day-to-day work and their income could look wildly different to someone who says, I work part-time and I do commercials. Um, So it's hard to sometimes compare and contrast people in our industry because there are so many different ways to make a living or perform as a voice actor. So I was really interested in seeing, number one, are any of those broad generalizations that some of us want to combat or fight against? Do we have a leg to stand on? Does the data support what we think or our inferences about how people are working or what is actually happening in the landscape? And then also for people who want that benchmark, like, am I on the right track? Am I someone who, am I at the top of my game? Am I at the bottom of my game? And not if not necessarily that any of that or the response to that is a positive or a negative, but just having the information, I think, is really empowering. And, you know, to find out, like, is there a ceiling, right? Like, have you reached your earning potential based on the genres that you work in? Um, Do you still have a long way to go? Is there room for you to grow your career? We all have a finite number of hours in a day, And we have a finite amount of voice in a day that you can devote to projects before you start getting scratchy or otherwise. So I think also for those of us who are, you know, mid-career or have been doing this for a decade, getting more information about what you can do to work smarter and not harder to sustain your career and build your career and having some benchmarking data about what's happening in the marketplace with your peers, I think, is very, very empowering. Yeah, this is almost the most objective way to get data on this industry possible because everyone skews based on their own experience and their life and their situation. And regarding like accountability groups and things like that, we tend to, you said it, drift towards people who are like us or who work in similar areas anyway. So yeah, I love that. And also regarding why you got into this. So you did this basically to win arguments on Facebook. Is that (laughs) that what I'm saying? That's the only reason. Uh, one of my New Year's sense. resolutions no. <laughs> was to stop um, getting stop, into arguments. <laughs> not necessarily sense. stop getting into arguments, but stop feeling responsible to respond to every <laughs> single thread that had a <laughs> discussion or a controversial topic. Um, my therapist and I discussed how much Facebook I should be, you know, using per day. I think <laughs> I've done. I think I've done pretty well at that. That's good. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately, e- even if it's not about responding to people who are making broad generalizations about things that they feel very strongly about, it's just helpful to know this information. And I think it's also helpful to see, and I hope Karin intends to um, continue this, I think it will be interesting to see how it changes over time. You know, we're also seeing a ton of discussions about the industry changing. I think we're still very much in a period of media disruption and things that are happening in commercial with um, the different media landscapes and where people are choosing to run advertising. We're still seeing a lot of disruption between union and non-union rates. We have obviously not enough time to talk about AI voiceover, but like a lot of us are thinking about that, especially those of us that do 
you know, non-broadcast or other maybe, you know, lower paying industrial genres, like what will happen there. So I think it will be interesting to see how this data changes over time and see if there are trends that we can recognize over time. There's one other reason why I wanted to do this survey, and that's that I think that it's really important to present this information to SAG-AFTRA specifically, Mm. because I think that, you know, our goal as voice actors, I think everyone would love for more work to be union and for more people to be able to be part of the union and be under that union protection and umbrella and have the possibility to qualify for health insurance and a pension and all that. I think the union tends to be very focused on the major markets, New York being New York and L.A., really. And they tend to be very focused on the broadcast genres. So I wanted to be able to present to them a good picture of the voiceover industry today so that they can better plan and we can all better plan for the future and see how we can bring more people into the fold if that's possible. So that's the other reason. Great. All right. So, Karen, let's dive into the actual data now, because we talked about why you wanted to do the survey and some global things. And let's go a bit more granular. So what's the first thing? So the first thing um, is that the of all the survey respondents, we have a pretty good breakdown of experience levels from zero to one year, all the way to 15 plus years. Each section, one to two years, three to five years, five to 10 years, et cetera, et cetera, is between 10 and 20 ish percent each little chunk. So so it's a it's a pretty beautiful pinwheel of colors that are all pretty evenly distributed. So I really like that, that we had a lot of people who had just started and some people who'd been in the business for a long time. What level would you consider yourself? This was very interesting to me that 52.3 percent of people who responded to the survey self-identified their level as pro. 16.2% said beginner and 31.6% said intermediate. Now, that really makes me ask the question, what, how do you consider yourself a pro? Is it after you've done one paid voiceover job? Is it after you've done several? Is it because you're an on-camera actor and you know that if you did book a job, you could go in and be a pro? I don't really know. Um, But, uh, and that's that's kind of the beauty of self-identifying is that we get to see how people think of themselves uh, yeah, and that's 52.3% of people. The other really interesting thing that I found in this survey that I think the union will find interesting as well is the question, where do you currently live and work? The choices were New York City area, Los Angeles area, or somewhere else. We had 29.7% of people saying that they live in the New York City area. No surprise there. The survey is hosted by voice actors of NYC, so we would get a disproportionate amount of people from New York. Only 17.4% of people said that they live in the Los Angeles area, and 52.9% of people live somewhere else. So over half of all the people who responded to this survey live somewhere other than the two major markets and do voiceover. I also found that interesting from a producer standpoint, right? So not only the union, Karen, but if I'm a producer uh, or casting director in the two major markets, I now know that I have been ignoring half of the talent pool. Yeah, exactly. And and that, I think, will open some minds or keep open some minds. Now, I feel like they kind of branched out and realized that during the pandemic. Um, And I hope those 
those, you know, reach outs to talent all across the nation, around the world, actually, um, stay open and, and they keep this way of, of thinking. Or if they didn't do that, they will now. And that a lot of people outside of those major markets are already fully kitted up with their studios. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. some of the major market people weren't necessarily as hot on that. Well, that was that was another interesting thing is who was ready to go during COVID. And a lot of the people who don't live in the major markets were totally ready to go when we had to shut down and go to remote work. Mm. Um, most of my friends who were scrambling to find to create to make their home studio were people who lived in L.A. and New York and were used to going into the studio all the time. And that includes a lot of union voice actors. We see in the union and non-union breakdowns. Um, a lot more people, well, maybe not, not a lot more people, but a lot of people made their home studios during the pandemic for the first time who didn't have studios before. One of the other um, points that I'm really excited for Karin to share with the folks at the union is that of the people surveyed, only 15 percent had said that they tried to convert work to union. And those that did try, more than half of them said the process was challenging and confusing. So I see this as a huge opportunity, um, especially with SAG-AFTRA inc- increasing the minimum threshold to qualify for health benefits, helping members convert work, especially the non-broadcast and industrial work, which is the low-hanging fruit, could be a super easy path to helping more actors qualify for that health coverage. And, you know, in a time when on-camera work has been Uh, decreasing the contributions into the health and retirement plans because of production shutdowns, getting more contributions into the health and retirement plans from voiceover work. So I'd be really interested in their reaction and response to that particular data point. That's interesting because you as a voice talent don't have to do an awful lot to do the conversion process. (laughs) You know, you especially if it's non-broadcast. Yeah. 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 Because you give it to a paymaster, they they do the business. what I think might be confusing, I don't know, but is what I can and what I can't convert. I guess that might be where the confusion lies. Yeah. So one of the interesting data points that came out for me um, was in the area of income. And this goes back to the point that Eric was making as, you know, a new voice actor and, you know, wanting to benchmark your performance, you know, perhaps in your early years and, you know, see how you're doing. So Uh, The survey found that roughly 75% of voice actors earn less than $40,000 per year. So 75% are making less than $40,000 a year. And then we also found that about 48% of those who responded to the survey made less than $8,000 from voiceover in 2020. So again, 48% of those who responded to the survey made less than $8,000 from voiceover in 2020. On the other end of the spectrum, only 5.6% of those surveyed reported earning more than $150,000 in 2020. So you've got 48% of the survey respondents making less than $8,000, and you have 5.6% of the survey respondents earning more than $150,000. The income statistics were interesting to me, especially because roughly 52% of those who responded to the survey identified their level as pro, saying that they were a working professional, and 32% identified themselves as an intermediate voice talent. So for me, I think we've all seen advertisements (laughs) from 
less than honest salespeople or beards promising (laughs) new and aspiring talents the ability to make fortunes in their pajamas. And it turns out, surprise, that it takes time to earn a living as a voice actor. And of the people who identified themselves in that beginner category and, you know, honestly said, I'm a beginner voice actor, 97% of them earn less than $8,000 a year. Wow. And I should just add, the reason why we chose the number $8,000 is because the IRS designates any business that makes less than $8,000 a hobby. So if you earn more than $8,000, you can be classified as a business. If you earn less than $8,000 year over year over year, the government might say that your business is actually a hobby. So that's right. that's why $8,000 was important to me. Was there a cross-reference with location and income? Because obviously $40,000 is more of a potential full-time gig if you're somewhere that isn't a major hub. I'm not saying it necessarily is a full-time job, but that's relevant too. Eric, you can you can answer that. I mean, I think we have the capability to do that, but we didn't in this particular breakdown. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, that's right. Um, I can can try to pull something up right now, actually. This is, oh man, this is like oh, well, a coding interview. <laughs> the time crunch. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see what you can do, Eric. I wasn't expecting you to pull that out your ass if you didn't have <laughs> I can, uh, yeah, it's like $7,000. No, um, I'm going to I'm gonna load up some states and uh, give you some answers in a second. But um, one thing I wanted to say to anyone listening to this podcast is, um, uh, you know, we're all around on the voice actors of NYC Facebook group. I think if people have, if we're, if there's anything glaringly obvious we missed that's uh, answerable by the data, I'm happy to at some point get to answering that. If someone just, um, like, we have access to the raw data, I have it all set up. So anyone with a good question like that location breakdown, that's something we can, like, I can just supplement later on. And we can also say that about the vocation conference group as well, because if you're not in New York, you can join that group. You don't have to be from New York to join the vocation conference Facebook group. Yes, of course. That might be worthwhile doing too. There will also be um, an email address on the website that you can contact if you only, you know, hear this on the podcast and you're not on Facebook and you just want to go on the website, which is voiceoversurvey.com. Want to put everything you've learned from the VO School podcast into practice? Join the Vocation Conference Facebook group. In addition to our annual conference, we host regular workouts and events throughout the year. Practice your skills and get feedback from respected industry professionals in a friendly and supportive online community. For all the latest information on our events, visit facebook.com slash groups slash vocation conference. See you there. I have the answer to your question. Um, you can, wow, amazing. You can edit it to make it look like I did that in like five seconds, right? It's like, add a bunch of like <laughs> rapid key type it's, of movies. Yes. It's impressive in like two minutes, however long it took you. To it. Like, give me a sound effect there. No, but... Um, yeah. uh, I see the smoke coming off the screen. <laughs> so I looked at... Um, I think location is definitely a great way to slice the data. I'm looking at 2019 income, and I'm comparing New York City area, Los Angeles area, and... Uh, everyone but New York City and Los Angeles area. So um, New York City area, it's looking like 57% of people made between zero and $8,000, 13% made between eight and 20,000, and then um, about 10% each for 40 to 75K and uh, 20 to 40K uh, and so on. So 
Compare that to LA area. So New York, remember we said that 57% made under 8K. Um, that figure is 45% for Los Angeles area. And the, the curve is sort of much more around the, the middle of the, of the amounts you could be making. So the, it's, it's more like averaged around like 8 to 20K, 40 to, 20 to 40K. And then compare that to um, the rest of the country. Um, interestingly enough, only 50% of the non-New York, non-LA uh, voice actors are making between zero and 8K. And uh, almost exactly 11% are making, well, if you add them together, like 33% are making between 8,000 and 75,000. Um, like those three oh. buckets are all 11%. And over 3% are making above 150K. That figure, the making over 150K for the New York City area and the LA area is actually just under 2% for both. It's, it's closer to 3%. Eh. It's like 4% for LA. So oh, interesting. Um, I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people might think, oh, like I, I don't live in New York City or LA. I have to move there if I want to make it in this industry. But I think like one thing that we've learned is like um, people have home studios. People are able to make this work outside of that. So that's what the data implies. Um, I will qualify this by saying that I've noted that out of the five, well, now four people on this podcast, I'm the only person in New York City area. I think everyone else is actually like, you know, in like DC, like, well, Karin, you're in LA, right? I'm, well, I'm like an hour outside of LA. I'm like as far away from LA as Jamie is from New York City. Yeah. So like Jamie, <laughs> Jamie mentioned he was in like Philly area. So um, I think there is also uh, like on the other end of the spectrum, a, a degree of people that are very well established can like maybe they feel comfortable just like sort of moving a little bit out of the city. Um, and also that's probably correlated with um, just like how, how, how much career experience you have. But um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And that's interesting that in L.A., it's lower than the total survey results, the people making zero to eight thousand dollars. There are fewer people making zero to eight thousand dollars in L.A. than all the responses as a percent, combined. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. As a, as a percentage. Yeah. So the bulk in LA are in that eight thousand to, to seventy five thousand. Yeah, yeah. Um, a third of them are making between eight and seventy five. Yeah. Wow. Well, this kind of makes sense to me too, because one one other very interesting thing that we discovered um, in with this survey is that the number two most popular genre of voiceover is all of these non broadcast things. So uh, e learning corporate narration and corporate explainer videos. Those were numbers two, three, and four after commercials. Commercial was the most popular genre. Uh, we asked people, what what uh, kind of voiceover do you do most often? They responded, commercials most. And then we had the, the three non-broadcast e-learning, corporate narration, corporate expl explainer right below, which is really important for converting work since those are the, the easiest to convert from non-union to union. And also, that says to me, a lot of people are doing these genres, and they're genres that we really need to pay attention to more. And then also, <laughs> third, when you start to think about AI, those might be the jobs that get taken over more than the other genres of voiceover. So that might become a problem in the future. But right now, they're the second most popular 
categories of voiceover, and you can do those anywhere. You can be in the middle of the country and you can make a full living doing that kind of stuff. And given the results of the income, that would suggest that that this is skewing more towards the majority of people who are early on in their career. That is the kind of work that they're doing, right? Yeah, is, you're is right. What it's showing. Yeah, cool. One other thing I wanted to bring up, um, just breaking up the data a bit more. Uh, I Back on the income front, I figured a question a lot of people might ask is, um, rather than grouping it by self-reported uh, talent level of, um, I think it was beginner, intermediate, and pro, um, I have it divided here by career length. So if your career length is under one year, between zero and one years, you're, you've got 98.5% of people making under 8K. So I think that should right. uh, yeah, immediately like make a lot of people um, like re realize like you know it's it's not a it's not a sprint. People slowly build up, and then if if I were to chart this, um, there's a very nice linear relationship between career length and income, as one might imagine. And uh, just for another data point in there, between one to two years, 93% were still making under 8K. By three to five years, that goes down to 64%. It's the three-year thing, right? It's, yeah. it's always the three-year thing. Yeah. I hear it it's so many times. It's the three-year thing. It's probably the 10,000-hour rule, which has been disproven, but still, yeah. I like to use it. <laughs> yeah, I say that pithy. all the time. <laughs> well, what about some anecdotal evidence? Uh, the three of you are um, working pros at this. Um, how would you say like the first three years of your careers went? Oh, I definitely earned under $8,000 the first year. <laughs> Joey? Uh, yeah, I think I started tracking um, in 2012. So I would have been two years in at that point. And I think I made $28,000 two years in. So yeah, I think that that tracks on point for sure. For me, it was, I don't, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head from what I was earning, but it was definitely, you know, a paltry sum <laughs> the first couple of years. And then the fall of 2012, something changed and and I just figured something out or I don't know what it was, but then my career just sort of started started kicking off from there properly. But yeah, it was pretty much three years in. Yeah, I think I think three years in is when I became a full-time voiceover was my only career. Yeah. But it, maybe not right at the start of year three. It might have been in the middle of year three at some point. I was year five, just for your year five context. Yeah. yeah, cool. Okay, so one thing that we asked everyone was what their union status was. And they ha had the choice of non-union, SAG-AFTRA, FICOR, or Financial Corps, which is a dues-paying non-member, or I live in a right-to-work state and do both union and non-union work. So if they live in a right-to-work state but only do non-union work, they would have answered non-union to this question. If they live in a right-to-work state and do both union and non-union work, they would answer uh, that. So we had 65.4% of people answering their non-union. 65.4%. That's a lot. 19.7% mm -hmm. uh, of people are members of SAG-AFTRA. 8.5% are FICOR. And 6.3% live in a right-to-work state. So we actually did a breakdown of all of the survey results by union uh, status. So you can view the entire survey results for just the non-union people, for just the members of SAG-AFTRA. And then also we combined FICOR and Right to Work 
to make a third category of basically people who are legally doing union and non-union work. So if you go to voiceoversurvey.com, you'll be able to see the full survey results broken down into those three categories as well, which is very interesting to me. This is going to be one of those ones that's going to be interesting to track over time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see how this changes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what percentage of your total voiceover income in 2020 was from non-union work? We have a, lo- a lot of non-union work, basically. Most people said between 90 and, and 100%. Um, we, had, we had the categories 90 to 100% and 100%, and we had 35.3% of people answering 90 to 100% and 24.5% of people answering 100%. So combined, that's what? 59.8%. Is that right? Did yeah. I do that right? You did. Almost 60% of people said that between 90 and 100% of their work is non-union. That's a lot. You said 20% of the people that fill this out are SAG members, something like that? I can, tell you, I can tell you the actual number, but I will qualify this. So there are different ways when you're union to do non-union work. So I don't know if a SAG after member is taking a non-union job and converting it to union and thinking of that as a non-union job. I don't know if they're doing um, genres of voiceover that aren't covered by a union contract. Yeah, that's what um, I was they consider that's considered a non-union job that they're doing, even though they're union members. But I do know, just anecdotally, a lot of people who work off the card who are union members who do non-union work. Mm. Um, there are 153 people who said they do zero percent non-union work, so all of their work is union. And there are 243 people who answered that they're members of SAG-AFTRA. So out of 243 people answered that they're members of SAG-AFTRA, but 153 people said that they do 0% non-union work. Hmm. So that's interesting. And of the rest, that it could still be legit because, like you say, it could be non-jurisdictional. It could be non-jurisdictional. Or, or they converted it. Yeah. Or they converted it. But they would consider, I would consider that union work. If, if it's converted, yeah. it's now a union project, right? Yeah. That's how I would think of it anyway. I didn't want to a- ask the question, if you're union, do you work off the card? <laughs> I feel like that's a really, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's a really invasive question to ask people and I don't want to get. I mean, we didn't we didn't collect any identifying information. I have no idea who any of the people are who responded. So, I would not know and no one would know in order to report them to the union if they're doing non-union work. Um, but I just didn't want there to be any question about that. So, interesting. Pay to plays? Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's dive in. <laughs> okay. A lot of people in these Facebook groups say professionals don't use pay-to-play sites, or if you want to make money, you don't use pay-to-play sites. Uh, We found from this survey that almost 65% of people who answered use pay-to-play sites, online casting sites for voiceover. 35% of people said that they do not. So that's a really big, that's a really big chunk of people on the pay-to-play sites. As far as which sites are the most popular, Voice123 is by far the most popular with 465 responses, and Voices.com is number two with 327 responses. After that comes Bidalgo, ACX, and Backstage, and then it goes down from there. 
I think another interesting question to ask would be um, how many of them are you on? Uh, so I, I would I would venture to guess that some talent are on multiple. Oh, yeah. Mm. Especially if they use online casting sites. Right. If you're a person who uses online casting sites, you're probably on more than one. Right. It's also worth um, noting on the pay-to-play site front that beginners and pros, pretty much an equal percentage of them are on pay-to-play sites. It's 40% for pros and 375 for beginners. And additionally, this is all stuff you can see on the site once it's up, uh, the distribution of which sites are popular are also pretty identical. So it seems like across the spectrum of experience, people are using these sites. What's interesting to me is to look at the comparison between people who use pay-to-play sites versus people who do direct marketing. Because we have almost 65% of people saying that they use pay-to-play sites, but only 53% of people saying that they do direct marketing. So it's a 10% difference. 10% more people are using online casting sites than doing direct marketing. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's easier. <laughs> it's easier to just go on a casting site and do yeah. an audition than to re- do all the research and less embarrassing people directly. <laughs> less embarrassing. <laughs> as far as being represented by an agent and getting work from an agent, 64% of people said yes, they're represented by an agent. And 36% of people said no, they're not represented by an agent. It's so funny when you start comparing all these numbers with the the income, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, income. when you start going back to comparing those two things, it's it's fascinating. It would be interesting at some point, Eric, to do the full survey results of people only making a hundred thousand dollars and above, to see like what they're doing, the top earners, you know, to see what they're doing that's right that they can earn that much. Yeah, definitely. How long they've been in the business. How long, you know, if they have managers, if they use pay-to-play sites, where they live, all of those things. So that might be a breakdown that we look at later. Yeah, for sure. Well, on the pay-to-play direct marketing thing, so uh, you mentioned that you were interested in the intersection between direct marketing and pay-to-plays. So it looks like overall, um, like we mentioned, 65% of people are on pay-to-plays and... uh, um, 53% of people say they do some f- level of direct marketing. Of the people that do direct marketing, 70% of them also are on pay-to-plays. Of the of the people that yeah. are on pay-to-plays, 57% of them are direct marketing. So it seems like there's a good amount of overlap, which makes sense. I think what yeah. would be interesting yeah. as a next level analysis, and this would take more than a few minutes, would be to find the people that are doing like 20 plus direct marketing touches or like 20 plus pay to play auditions a day, just like the heavy users of each and seeing if um, there's still a crossover. Maybe these people are just audition machines and they're just cranking it all out and just firing on all cylinders. Or maybe people tend to specialize and sort of pick a lane as they get deeper into it. Well, you get a little bit of a sense of that when you look at just uh, when it's broken down by beginner, intermediate and pro, how many auditions you typically do in a day. And the pros do a significant more number of auditions in a day than a beginner Absolutely. or an intermediate. Um, whereas even if you're on an online casting site, like you should be able, if you're on an online casting site, you should be able to do a fair number um, in a day. And it's just interesting to me that like my own <laughs> experience was when I was first starting out, I was doing a ton of auditions 
every day trying to drum up business. So I, it surprised me to see that, what is it, over almost 70% of beginners are doing, you know, zero to two auditions in a day. I think a lot of people are banging the drum for direct marketing right now. And I think a lot of people earlier on in their career are doing more direct marketing than when we started. Mm. I think it's much mm. more of a thing that's common, more common now than it was a few years ago. So it'd be interesting to cross-reference that with how long they've been in their career and how much direct marketing they do. I know there's a few examples of people that do it later into their career, but I don't know that many pro talent that spend all day direct marketing. Yeah. Mm. Wait, Joey, um, real quick, when you started, you said you were doing a lot of auditions. Where were you getting them from? Yeah. Pay to play sites or? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. The online casting sites. Uh, I, I was easily probably doing, I don't know, 10 to 20. Yeah, same. Um, mm. uh, just trying to get as much as I could and then reaching out. And then I would do direct marketing. I would reach out to studios and try and get on rosters. Mm. And then you start getting auditions from them. Um, and so that number just continues to grow and grow and grow. So that, that was my personal experience. That makes sense because I think as a beginner, I also started doing pay to plays a few months after I started. But before that, I had no choice but to do like zero to one auditions per day because then it's just sure. a trickle, right? Like you can find stuff on right. Reddit and Twitter maybe, um, on Facebook groups, but those are very far and few in between. So that's definitely another big reason like when beginners aren't ready to commit to paying the $688 subscription yeah. for whatever, right? And the, the online casting sites were much cheaper when I started. <laughs> yeah, you could pay by the month <laughs> like when I, think, I started. Yeah, two oh, ninety five. Yeah, it's like one ninety nine. I'm pretty sure it was like two hundred bucks. So all of this uh, information exists online at voiceoversurvey.com. We ask questions about home studios. We ask questions about uh, people's experience of COVID. We asked all kinds of other things that we didn't cover today in the podcast. And so if you, if data is your love language, like it is mine. <laughs> Come to the website. Come to the website and take a deep dive into all of this stuff. Um, yeah, voiceoversurvey.com. I want to say a special thanks to Karen Barth, also from uh, Voice Actor Websites. She yeah. put together the website for us. It is absolutely awesome and so easy to navigate and wonderful. So, um, and I want to say thank you to my team, also Maria Pendolino, Eric Yang, Joey Shalio, and Karen Barth. And thanks for having us, Jamie. My pleasure. Thank you for doing all my work for me in the podcast. I don't have to say anything. <laughs> the VO School podcast was produced by Heather Lynn Watt, Joan Gavino, Lisa Leonard, Gina Scarper, Femi London, Tiffany Van Landingham, Diane Richmond-Knox, Zach Allerman, and myself, Jamie Moffat. Special thanks to Patreon super member Angus McLeod and our sponsors JMC Demos and Backstage Magazine. We'll see you next time. No, let me try by myself. Welcome to the Field School Pass with your host, Davey Muckett.